Support the show by donating at themusicbuds.com. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Music Buds podcast. This is episode number 18, and my name is Henry. This week, I'm honored to be joined by Luke Bentham of The Dirty Nil. Uh, Luke, it is so nice to meet you. I, I truly have loved this band for years, and it, it's very special, and I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on, Henry. Oh, sure. Uh, well, how's, how are things going? Well, you know, I think given the circumstances, things are going very well. We've got, uh, we've got an album coming out at the end of the year. Sweet. And uh, so we've just been very busy doing things to support that release. And yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of temptation to focus on the specific limitations of this time period. But my mind uh, during most of this year is, um, has felt pretty exhilarated by the landscape just because it seems like, uh, to me, there's been a bit of a reset of... Uh, the music industry, which obviously, I, I think it's it's its downsides are very e- evident. But I think mm. that if you look on the positive side, that there's going to be a much needed reset to many aspects of the whole uh, the whole music universe. And so, in that vein, um, as I said, I found it quite exhilarating with our team to just focus on what we can do and not on what we can't do. Yeah. With that being said, being being from Canada, what was the growing up? What was the music scene like around you? Like, uh, particularly the the rock scene. Like, was that were there a lot of opportunities there, or did you kind of have to go out and find other avenues for music? Well, we grew up in a small little suburban town called Dundas, which is um, to anyone who's not been there, which is <laughs> highly likely, it's kind of like the the Shire. Oh, okay, um, cool. Basically, from Lord of the Rings. It's a lot yeah. like that. So it was a good place to be to kind of get into trouble because there wasn't a lot to do necessarily. So, um, I mean, in, we had a lot of fun in our early years just kind of getting things going and not having anybody telling us that we're doing it wrong because there was nobody really around to. I mean, our parents would tell us we were always playing too loud and. But that was about it. We had no real older mentors yeah. in terms of bands. There wasn't really a Dundas music scene. And uh, in Hamilton, there was a music scene, which is probably, it's about a half a million people. That's where we all live now. But we were just completely unaware of everything happening there. And even just getting to go play a show in Hamilton seemed like we were going to go play on Saturday Night Live. So our goals in the early years were quite modest. And I think in that vacuum, we had a lot of freedom to develop. And our musical influences were mostly coming from things like uh, Much Music, which is the, basically the Canadian MTV. Right. And uh, we were the first YouTube generation. So we were indoctrinated into the glory of uh, classic rock through video formats. And I think that was a very important, that left a very important impression on us and our DNA as a band very young. But it wasn't until we really started what we got into our 20s when we started establishing real laudable goals 
when we were kids, when we were teenagers, when we started the band, we just, we just wanted to make music. Basically we, we had pretty pure and earnest goals for, yeah. for what we wanted to do. I don't think I never really thought about making it a career, but I also at the same time knew that I uh, didn't want to do anything else other than music. So it wasn't really, we didn't really narrow down on our goals until we hit our twenties and really started touring the world particularly the united states a lot when we really started focusing on what we really wanted to do with music um and you know through touring we met a lot of bands that gave us a lot of good advice and some bands that gave us some bad advice and uh you know i remember you having mentioned you you'd go up to bands and would be like asking them you know about like how should we go about doing this how should we go about doing that part of it was you know drive and motivation to get to know the world of music and how to level up. Was that kind of how it was or? For sure. I think the biggest, the, our, our, one of our only opportunities to kind of get a glimpse into, uh, into formulating a game plan was when we were, when we were put as the opening band on a bill when we were in high school and the headliners would be, you know, professional musicians of varying calibers and statures and, and we would punish them unrelentingly with questions asking, how did you do this? How did you do that? And basically ask them questions until they told us to fuck off. Yeah. Um, so in that spirit, I think we definitely have a lot of patience now for, for younger people that approach us and asking um, if we have any insights, we're happy to tell them what we can. But I think the, the largest thing that I've really taken away from the whole thing is that there is no one way to do it, but mm. there are certain organizational tidbits of advice that I think are universal when it comes to any kind of business operation or creative enterprise that are, as I said, universal that don't necessarily are, are, are pretty standard. Like, you know, I, when, when, when younger bands or artists solicit advice from our, band i think we usually tell them you know make sure that your goals are in line make sure that you have a kind of clear division of who does what in the band and um as i said the main one is to really make sure you all have the same goals of music and not one person is kind of flirting with it and the other people are really really serious about it you kind of have to all align yourself somewhat but yeah. we were lucky enough that i think we in our early days we just had a a complete naive we're gonna rule the world attitude even though we had no plan to do so <laughs> right uh well uh talking about gr growing and developing you did get to open for the who um yes, we did which i mean i can't even imagine that feeling what was that like well when we got the call to do it i was I, it, it came at a really good time because we were on tour in england i was particularly bummed out about some completely unrelated aspects of i i can't even remember what i was bummed out about but mm -hmm. the, the call uh went something like this it was from our manager and he said okay i got some some bad news we're not going to play on the same day as metallica for this festival anymore i was like what the fuck and then he said but we are going to play it on the same day as the who and you're going to get to open for them jeez and, uh, i mean that was uh, the Who were our favorite band growing up, uh, Kyle and I. I mean, we we basically named our band after a clip of the Dirty Mac, 
Mm. at the rock and Ro rolling stones rock and roll circus that they filmed in 1968 and they only mm. released in the 90s and there was the who performance from the same um <laughs> show that really just inspired us to want to play music it was uh it was chaotic and fun and just displayed such a just raw power vibe that we were an animated physically uh that we were definitely completely romanced by that yeah. version of music so i mean it's is the ultimate back in time high five to get to play for sure yeah uh talking about your music i mean the one thing that struck me right away is there is this like incredible raw intense and also fun energy to your music and every time i am feeling that and am in the need for that i can go to your music and your music immediately comes to mind like um smoking is magic if that is like not one of the most adrenaline fueled badass songs and like it's songs like that, that I, I think you really capture what you're just saying is there's a great raw energy to your music and it is very unique well thank you i mean that's uh i think that when we're developing a crop of music i mean part of it for us is i um, mean it's i think it's just more of my own personal philosophy but i don't like uh the assignment of saying okay well let's we need a song so let's make a song i don't like doing that i'd rather work for a year and play with everyone for for a year and develop 10 or 12 songs that we feel really good about and be when you do it that way you can kind of say well okay we've got some songs that are like this but i think to kind of round out this crop we could we, we need a couple more intense songs or we need you know something more slow and powerful or something more dynamic. Uh, that's the way that I think, and we, we were, we were raised on albums too. So, I mean, something like smoking is magic was born out of, you know, we've got a, a few good kind of mid tempo power chorus songs. We need something that's going to peel the paint off the walls when we get <laughs> uh, down to the clubs in the States. And so, yeah, have, you know, our songs, we take a while on our music and we definitely um we don't depend on a producer to help us formulate our ideas i mean the last two records we've made which were master volume and our newest record fuck art we made with john goodmanson who's an incredible producer but yeah. um you know john has been very vocal about the fact that the work is the battle is won and lost in the band in the jam space basically and that's mm. how that's how i feel too it's you've got to you've got to i think there's a tendency now that bands are our bands are super lazy and i'm not saying all of them but there's there's definitely a modern trend of having an idea and then going to a studio and having a producer help you put it together and looping things and you know you lose yeah. the magic that way you know it's it's definitely a path of less resistance and there's less fighting there's less hard feelings and arguments and but you also lose the magic of of working on things and discovering those moments through playing them live and trying things different ways and really really bashing your music out like uh like hardening steel you know yeah. and that's how we that's that's our process and we'll never deviate from it because i find that i i just i don't think i'd be able to live with myself if somebody told us what to do yeah um, i would rather have somebody come in 
and give us some opinions at the 11th hour to try and tidy things up here and there and give us some suggestions. But us having put in 95% of the work, I would rather live and die that way than, you know, have a producer put it together and it be more successful, but more generic. If, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if that's an exact, I kind of went for a little rip there. <laughs> no, you're but, um, no, you're fine. Um, uh, in terms of playing the music, are there any, maybe perhaps playing live that are your favorites to play that are the most fun to play? Any, any standout ones or are they all kind of the same in, in that way? There's definitely ones that I think usually it's, always funner the newer songs are always funner because they're fresher but some of the older songs that are still the funnest to play are the ones that are i guess let's see what are, what's really fun to play i really like playing smoking is magic that's a really fun one yeah i don't know there's not the, the the ones i think that we have the most elegant arrangements for as a band become the ones that are the funnest to play the ones that are a little bit more technical become a little bit more, they're just a little bit, the, the fancier songs with fancier syncopated parts and stuff. I think those ones become a, a little less fun to play over, over, over playing them a million times, but there's a certain pride when you can get those parts really tight and right. you feel really good about them. But there's some songs I think in our catalog that I always feel that they sound good. Um, and there's other ones that we kind of have to play our way into a little bit and, and mm. practice a bunch and um, have a have a couple warm up nights sure. to really hit our stride with. But I think the funnest songs to play live are just the ones that the people go off the hardest to. So yeah, really, basically anything off of Master Volume and anything yeah. that we've debuted so far off of Fuck Earth, <laughs> people really seem to like. So yeah, there's no real standouts for me. I really like playing all of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think. Uh, in terms of the uh, what fans uh, and audiences are connecting with is it can I feel like it could be different every time you know you go mm -hmm. to a, one location then to another uh, you know an audience may react totally different to a different song you know and, and so I think it, it could be kind of interesting to have one audience may love or may react strongly to this song and then another does the same thing and so I think that's a kind of a cool you never know what you're gonna get I guess yeah it was interesting to take master volume on the road through the United States and really see which regions responded to which songs. And, um, you know, when we went through the South, funny enough, the faster songs were really popular. And then when we went through the Midwest, the slower songs were more popular. Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's some kinds of lines like that geographic lines that seem to kind of separate uh our catalog that way but there are there's also just particular nights where the crowd is so on your side before you even start playing that <laughs> every single song you start it just seems people are even more pumped than the last one and looking at each other like oh they're playing this one it's us we're, yeah. just, like, we're just doing our set but it's super <laughs> great it's amazing yeah it's those kinds of moments and those nights really remind me especially in the context of right now where you know as i said we're facing some limited a limited set of circumstances that um really drive home to me the importance of working really hard on your music and at the same time really drive home the point to me that uh we're a very lucky band you know to mm -hmm. get to uh to enjoy that kind of response to our music
Yeah. Now, uh, with, with touring, at, like there's the song uh, Super 8. I remember you having talked about in the past, having gone on tour and had all these different, you know, stayed at these different motels and all of that. And what was that experience like? Because I feel like with touring, of course, the shows themselves could be so exciting, so interesting. But I feel like, again, with touring, you never know what you're going to get. You might go to this location, to that location. Was that kind of uh, lifestyle, for lack of a better word, is that something you can feel at home with? Or is it kind of, is it at times tough being on the road, going from place to place to place? I think that everybody uh, that's kind of hit our age, which is 30 and is still touring, has a very love-hate relationship with touring. Um, When you get a certain amount of kilometers or miles, uh, if you're American (laughs) under your belt, it's just, that's just how it works. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a very extreme way to live because you basically wake up in a motel or a hotel if you're lucky enough. And it's usually on the outskirts of town and you get, you know, some coffee made by a machine and maybe you eat a plastic waffle Mm. and then you get in the van and you drive for eight hours and then you, you're racing to get to this venue. You get there, the venue is not open yet. You load all your stuff in, you sound check and you have hours to kill. And then Uh, You play a show and you feel like you've taken part in this unbelievable communion uh, of rock and roll and you connect with human beings that appreciate what you've dedicated your life to. And it's just a profound experience every night that gets to happen. And then you ride this high and you talk to people afterwards and you tear your gear down and then you go back to the hotel and uh, it, the process repeats. So it's, it's a, I, I only kind of outline it that way to illustrate that it is a very peaks and valleys daily existence that is definitely taxing when it's done in a sustained way, which is typically how touring is done. So sure. yeah, tour, touring's tough. I mean, long story short, it is tough. It's, it's, uh, it's both physically and mentally very demanding to maintain yourself and, and, give everything that you've got every night uh, to the people that have come out to see you play. So yeah, super eight is uh, kind of the distillation of uh, the feelings that I had about uh, touring uh, higher power, our first record and some of the, you know, we were staying in the worst places that we ever stayed uh, on higher power. And uh, there was a lot of bugs and a lot of gunshots and a lot Mm. of, uh, a lot of strange things. And yeah, so that song is, um, that song is a love letter to the, uh, to the cheap motels of the United States with where we have spent lots of time and, uh, drawn a lot of inspiration from. Yeah. Well, I mean, super eight is a, an example, but do you often write on the road? Do you find that being in that headspace causes you to have inspiration for songwriting? Sometimes it does. I mean, I, I'm usually, usually when uh, I find that when we're on tour, I'm just in such a, I'm in such a state of just trying to preserve my energy to be able to give the best show that I part personally can from my, from, from my side of the stage that I just don't have a whole lot of energy to do other stuff. But when, um, when there is extra energy, lie left over i definitely love 
trying to jot things down and I keep a journal all the time. Every year I fill up like a, a journal. Oh, cool. And so I like to kind of look back on stuff and you, you always think you're going to remember everything, but you just don't And no. I learned that early on in our touring career. And I'm, I'm happy that I decided to document as much as I could. So yeah, there's, I try and just when I'm feeling you know, in a particularly elevated state, whether it's positive or negative, I try and record how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way with handwriting, because I find that it's easier to draw upon when I'm home. But there's definitely, I think when it comes to writing, there's things that we definitely do write on the road and we, we work on things at sound check. And, uh, you know, I definitely like riffing on the road and just trying and trying out new riffs and saying, Hey guys, what do you think about this one? And, uh, tinkering away with lyrics in the van. There's not much else to do, but <laughs> I find, I find a lot of the times like, you know, when, when we're touring in the, in the fall slash winter, everybody always gets sick. So you don't have a, a lot of extra time to sit around with acoustic guitar singing. You're just trying to like make sure you can sing that night to do the show. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, writing, writing on the road can be, sometimes it, it can just be a bit of a bridge too far, but sometimes it can be really fruitful. And, uh, I find that, you know, if, if we're able to like kind of keep working on songs when we're sound checking and trying things out live, then it's the best way to develop songs rather than just in the vacuum of the jam space, you know, really getting to try them out in front of people and make adjustments um, yeah. afterwards. For sure. Are there now talking about um, other bands or, or other music? Are there any artists that you've been listening to these days? Perhaps it, it could either be other other rock bands or other artists that you've been filling up your time with this year, or any, any that come to mind. Yeah, there's uh, there's a band from Toronto called the OBGMs, and they just put out a new record called The Ends, and it's really good. It's a really strong punk record and uh, they've been a band for almost as long as we have. So it's mm. great to see them put out a, a, a really kick-ass record. Um, then there's a band called uh, Bike Thieves from uh, Mississauga, Ontario. And uh, they just put out a record. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I can't quite remember what it's called offhand, but Bike Thieves are a good band. Great record they just put out. Uh, really excellent lyrics. And, um, who else? Yeah. I mean, a lot of our friends have put out records this year and it's been great to see people trying new things. You know, I think one of the things that one of the, the, the main divergence of strategies that I've seen this year is number one is, well, let's just sit on everything until things get better. And the number right. two is, well, real life is still happening. So there is no pause button for life. So let's make a plan and do our best. And I'm definitely more of a fan of the second, the latter, because, you know, I think if there's one thing that I've really learned um, in rock and roll is that there's no spare time, you know, and sitting around and not being productive and not doing stuff. You, I, I just feel like you always pay a cost for that. So I'm definitely, I, I have a lot of respect and appreciation for people that are thinking outside the box in uh, deploying their records this year and doing interesting content to support them. But I also sympathize with the point of view of, of not, of, 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 of waiting um, until touring resumes. But I think that 
Yeah, I'm just, I'm just a, I'm a storm the hill at all costs kind of guy. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I definitely, as I said, I appreciate seeing that kind of that energy from other people too. Yeah, I, I guess I'm the same way. Like I, in the back of my mind, I want to take a break and stop, but then I feel like the day I start doing that, I regret it. And I kind of, I feel like I start to get anxious and stressed. And so I kind of, for better or worse, I just got to kind of keep, keep going. So yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Well, Luca, I love talking to you. Is there anything else about perhaps the the new album? The the new singles you've released are fantastic, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else? Yeah. Is there anything else about either the the band in general or perhaps the upcoming album you want to mention? I don't want to leave anything unsaid. I would say that Kyle is the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time. <laughs> I would say that Ross Miller is the greatest bass player, uh, hype man of all time. Yep. And I'm very <laughs> proud that I get to play with those guys. And I'm very, uh, I'm extremely proud of our new album, Fuck Art. Uh, it's all for the children. And it comes <laughs> out uh, on New Year's Eve. That's and, awesome. Uh, I would just say as a, as a general uh sentiment to anybody listening out there that um it's a super weird year but uh it's a good year to just focus on whatever you want to do and as much of a as as an impulse as there is to kind of despair about the prospects of of everything i think it's important to uh recognize that things will get better and uh to just as i said not despair just pour yourself into your work and uh to your friends to whatever extent you can and keep your head up yeah all right well uh luke thank you so much again for taking the time you're you're welcome back whenever you would like best of luck yeah or i can't wait to hear the new album and i I hope to see you on tour sometime next year if you know if things uh go well and please take care and stay safe okay you as well henry thank you very much for having me and uh hail hail rock and roll yeah all right everybody thank you so much we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and We'll see you next time.